So we're moving into, I'm going to talk about where we've come from in just a minute. We're moving into, in the catechism, we've been talking about sin, and now we're going to talk, we're going to be moving into talking about judgment a little bit. And if you were here or you, or you listened to last week's sermon, this may be what I'm about to say is, is appropriate. But first, we have to practice something. What happens when someone does a bad joke? You go, wah, 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 right? Okay, we did that last week because... Pastor Joel's not a joke teller, but here's the thing. So after, so after last week, and if you don't remember what happened last week, talk to somebody who was here, they'll, they'll tell you. I can tell, let me see, I, gotta, I wrote this down because I had to remember. Oh, a lot of people are very judgmental these days. I can tell just by looking. Wah, wah, wah. Thank you. Okay, so where we've been, there's my judgment joke. Where we've been is we've been walking through this New City Catechism. And again, a catechism is a way of teaching. Christians have used it. It's a question and answer format. It's very much how we have taught doctrine in the Christian church from, maybe not from the very, very beginning, even though there's there's a document that is very early on in the life of Christianity, as we come to know it, that is called the Didache, which is the teaching, basically, and it, and it talks about a number of things. It's not quite a catechism. Catechesis is, of course, teaching. And so we've been walking through this, and we learned a little bit about who we are. And let's see, who's, who's in my catechism class? I've got one. Anybody else in my catechism class here today? I don't think I see anybody. Okay, I'm putting you on the spot. Humans are made what? We talked about it this week. Well, come on, man, you got this. It's it's a Latin word. Imago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Imago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a new song. Thank you, Will, for letting me pick on you. Imago Dei. We're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. I will say that Pastor Joel, unfortunately, didn't forward the information to Will specifically for some reason, and so he had, he had to dive in in class and had to get caught up to speed really quick. So the Imago Dei didn't get imprinted in his brain quite as securely. But that humans are made in the image of God, that the first question of the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man or humanity? And that is... Right, to glorify God and enjoy God forever. So that's humanity. And then we learn about who God is. And we believe that God is a what? A tri-what? Right? A trinity or a triunity, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in that, in that traditional language. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That God in God's self is a relationship and that we believe that God is a God of love. And we don't mean that eros, squishy, romantic kind of love. We mean agape love, which is unconditional love. But also unconditional love has some hard edges to it that it holds us accountable. When we are truly in a love relationship with another human being, it holds us accountable to that person, to certain, to behavior, to, to how we are to live. And so that's, that's going to be crucial for where we're going to get to today. And so then we talk about, you know, who the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is, all of that, and we come up to sin. And now we've talked about how broken we are. I walked you through a little bit about Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. I still think that Christianity, in many ways, is, is divided into two camps just based on those two chapters in Genesis. In Genesis 1, God creates everything that is. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
create everything that is. The Spirit moves over the the watery chaos and, and brings forth life. And God says it is, right? And even about the humans that are made, we call them Adam and Eve, but Adam is really means mud person or mud man because God made made Adam out of the dirt and breathed his Holy Spirit into this human and that they were very good. Now, Genesis 3, what happens? The fall, right? And we're not talking about leaves coming down from trees. We're talking about the fall. And it's never, and the fall, it's, ne- it's not called that inside of the scripture, which I find super interesting but we call it the fall, which is basically, you have, you have Adam and Eve, we think an apple, it's a, it's a fruit of some kind that comes off of a, a fruit-bearing tree, and we have a serpent. And we have this whole thing where, where sin enters the picture. And sin comes through the first human being, and that that human being is a representative of all of us, and so then sin is now a part of all of us from the very beginning. So some Christians lean heavily on Genesis 3. You're bad. You better get right with Jesus or else you're going to burn in hell forever. That's sort of the message. I mean, I, I'm, again, I'm sort of casting that this very one, zero, black and white kind of, kind of thing here. And then Genesis 1, Christians are much more like, oh, human beings are made good. We're good. We need to act out of our good impulses. We need to do that. And so it's interesting how you find that in churches. So churches that we might call progressive, where you walk in and and you see, you know, you see all kinds of what we might call social gospel kinds of things. They're feeding people. they're, They're housing the homeless. They're recycling. They're doing all those kinds of things. In their churches, and I'm Oftentimes, it's kind of Jesus light. It's very God heavy. It's almost, sometimes you can almost go, well, they really feel Unitarian because it's very focused on the goodness of humanity. Genesis 3 churches, you come in and it's very much, it's very Jesus centric, but it's very much, you, you better get right. You better confess your sin because the judgment's coming. And if you're not right, it's going to be bad for you. I just had a conversation with a college student this week who, on their campus, there is a, a very conservative evangelical group that is, is basically evangelizing people on campus, and it's almost become harassment in their estimation, because it's, it's very much like, you're bad, you better, get, you better get right. So Genesis 1, Genesis 3. Now, I'm a middle way kind of person. If you know me, I'm always trying to find compromise. I'm always trying to find how do we navigate this in a most helpful way. I've always felt like that Westminster, with my leadership and the leadership of our elders, we've really worked hard to take the truth of all of that. Because I believe that all of that is true. We are broken, sinful people. We do bad things things even when we try to do good things because we're usually serving ourselves. I fully believe in that because I've done that in my own life. I also fully believe that God made us good. And I've always really tried to make us very Jesus-centric, Savior-centric, Christ-centric, to bring all of that together. Because a Reformed principle, a Reformed theological principle is you cannot interpret the Bible without using the entire Bible. So you can't just pull Genesis 3 out and go, well, that's, that's everything about humanity. 
And you can't just pull Genesis 1 out and say that's everything about humanity. You've got to look at the whole scope and sequence and, and, and how all that's put together. So there's my dissertation on all that. Will God, this is the question, 18, question 18, will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? Last week I was talking about how we're idol worshipers at heart. We can make an idol of anything. What I didn't show you last week, what I didn't show you last week was Newcastle United Football Club, and I don't mean American football, I mean the right kind of football. Oh, um, just kidding, just kidding. Don't keep your tomatoes to yourself. <laughs> Especially you, Katie Wiegert, big football fan. Newcastle United, Newcastle United, their tagline is, does anybody know? And I'm going to mess it up. Newcastle United is my religion. And I forget what their field, their field name is. We're going to say St. James Field is my church. It's blasphemy, people. I mean, in the literal sense of the term, that is blasphemy. But this, this is the, we can make idols out of anything. I mean, that is their tagline. They have t-shirts, everything. It's super interesting to me. But yeah, Newcastle United is my religion. And the field they play on is my church. That's how much we are idolaters. Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? No. Every sin, this is the answer, every sin is against the sovereignty, the holiness, and the goodness of God, and against God's righteous law. And God is righteously angry with our sin and will punish them in his just judgment both in this life and in the life to come. I think it's so interesting that they had to have such a long answer to this question. With all of this righteousness, holiness, just judgment, all, all, all this sort of thing. Because what it does is it ties into a ref, our reformed understanding of God. Because we, in many ways, we believe in this otherness of God. Meaning that, that as much as we know about God and that we know primarily through Jesus and then through the word that we have in the scripture, that we really don't know God. That God is other, and holy means set apart. And righteous, of course, just means that God is, is pure. And I've talked about this sometimes when people in the scripture meet angels, or they meet Jesus, and they're like, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. You know, and, it, and it's not a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It's, it's you know... It's, I'm not, I'm not worthy. Like they, we come into contact with this holiness, with this righteousness, and we go, whoa, I'm not that. This is different than me. This is other than me. And it often causes us to see our brokenness, our sinfulness in a different way. And so what the orthodox position is on judgment and will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go and punish is no, that God is a righteous God and God does not deviate. God does not deviate from holding us accountable to our sin, to the, to the ways that we've broken God's law. Sometimes we, we make the metaphor of God being a parent and Jennifer and I, in our parenting, we really believed that kids need guidelines. They need guardrails because they need to learn how to push against them. They need to rub up against them. They need to get thrown back into the center. They need to, they need to figure out how to break the rules in order to understand why the rules are there sometimes. So we, not that we were, I wouldn't say we were super strict, but we, but we definitely had expectations and, and guidelines for them. And 
we held them accountable to that because we had judged, as we've seen other people do it differently, that when kids weren't held accountable to things, they, they didn't know where, where the rules were. They, didn't, they weren't sure what it meant to be held accountable. They didn't know that there were consequences for their actions sometimes. And so then they would continue to do things to try to push the edges because they were trying to find the edges. That was our, just our understanding of that. I'm not saying that should be yours. That's just our, our parenting style. And so God, God says, hey, here's the, here's the field. I'm holding you accountable to this, and I'm not going to deviate from that. Alistair Begg, who's in, if you, if you download the, the, the free app that comes with New City Catechism, you can get the devotional, and in the devotional, Alistair Begg is quoted there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very hopeful quote. There is going to be a payday. Judgment is going to come. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due to us for what we have done in the body. Sort of see a little bit of a metaphor of this in the parable of the talents. And if you remember the parable of the talents, the master is going away and is quite wealthy and, and gives to one ten, to one five, and to one one. And when he comes back, the one who has ten doubled it, and one who has five doubled it, and one who has one buried it and didn't do anything with it. And the judgment for the other ones was, I'm going to give you more responsibility for the one who just buried it. They cast him out of, you know, the community. Judgment. Now, I mean, a lot of places, again, depending on, depending on what church you might have grown up in, that might have been the, the end of the sermon. You're in trouble. Confess your sins and get right. Right? Get your act together. Start living the way you're supposed to live. Well, that's fine and great in, in a sense as it causes us to, to evaluate our lives and to see how we are in relationship with God. But our God is not a quid pro quo God. It's not, I scratch God's back, God scratches mine. It's not, oh, I, I give this much money to my church and to, to these other charities and do that, and God looks with favor upon me. Mercy is also part of who God is. While God holds us accountable, God also, through Jesus Christ, gives us mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Just think about that for a little while. Someone comes into your house and you've got a prized lamp and they decide they're going to play catch and the prized lamp gets broken. If you don't make them pay for it, or maybe it's irreplaceable, you have given them mercy. Because in a sense, what they deserved was to pay for the lamp. If we're just talking in a strict back and forth sort of thing, mercy is not getting what you deserve. So how does this work? Because if, if God is going to hold us accountable, if that's also one of those lines on the field, God is going to hold us accountable, then, then what? How, how does mercy plan this? Well, What's the answer, people? The answer always is Jesus. God's judgment 
falls on Jesus. And just as Adam, the first human, brought sin into being and was the representative, the you know, who gave it to all of us, judgment falls on Jesus for us. And in the scripture it says that when when he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. Jesus, in the words of the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, was the Passover lamb. Maybe that doesn't connect quite for you. When the Israelites were in slavery to the Egyptians, Moses, of course, gets called to be the leader, and there's a long story there. And, but he brings these plagues. And the plagues, what's interesting about this, the, none of the plagues affect the Israelites. None of them except, except when the angel of death is going to come and take every firstborn child. What do the Israelites do? They take the blood of a Passover lamb, of the lamb, which becomes known as the Passover lamb, the angel of death passes over, and they put it on their lintels over their doorways. And those that didn't do it faced judgment. The angel came and took their firstborn child. The Passover and Jesus became the Passover lamb. That's why that's such a powerful metaphor coming out of this, out of the Jewishness of Jesus's history, and why we are still brothers and sisters with our with our Jewish neighbors is because that covenant extended through Jesus. Jesus became the Passover lamb, and so judgment falls on him for all of us, just like sin came into being through Adam to all of us. And so Jesus takes our sin and it dies with him and with us and it is raised with him as we are raised in this new life in Christ. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sin, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And I would add that comes through Christ. Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? No. But in Jesus Christ, we have been given a new life and a new hope. To be free to confess our sin, to not seek to make some sort of contract with God that I'll do this and you do that. God has already loved us. God has already forgiven us through Jesus Christ. And we are set free then to face that fact about ourselves and to seek to live and to love and to give as God's children. Forgiven and free. And when we come to that judgment seat, Jesus is there. What a beautiful story that is. Amen.